Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I've been puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. Another night where JP's away, so it's yours truly. Spencer German hanging out with you until midnight here on The Fan. I didn't expect, when I was looking ahead to summer shows here at the station, I was not expecting to spend a day nitpicking and going back and forth on a second-round pick for the Cavaliers and the impact that this player would potentially have on the franchise. Um, But that's what we did today, and we got a lot of... Wild conversations out of it because Justin Rose, who's the play-by-play voice of the Eastern Michigan uh, basketball team, had a lot to say about Amoni Bates. And uh, we're going to get to that here in the opening segment because it was some wild stuff that he dropped on us today. And listen, I... uh, It's 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 interesting because when you get a player in it like Amoni Bates who comes in, yeah, you're. We saw this with the Browns, right? Kind of like the Kareem Hunt example, where yeah, there was some baggage there after the incident that he got caught up in, and the Browns didn't shy away from bringing him in and saying, you know what, we have to, we're going to take a shot here, we're we're going to take a shot in him redeeming himself, and. You're trying to give him structure, and you're trying to give him a foundation where he feels supported, but he's also going to be able to grow and learn from a good support system that's around him. That's that's the key, right? And by all accounts, it feels like by the time he was leaving Cleveland this offseason, Kareem Hunt turned things around. He wasn't in this spotlight of getting in trouble anymore, and that was obviously what the Browns were hoping to do mend his uh, image, if you will. You need the right culture to do that type of thing, though. You need the right people to do that type of thing. And I'm curious if the Cavs do have that established at this point. 216-474-0092. We're going to get more into the just logistics of what this move, this draft pick even really means for this team because here's the thing. I, like I said, I didn't expect to be debating the impact of Amoni Bates for an entire day at this station this summer. A second-round pick who probably is, we might not, he might even play this year. He's on a two-way deal. Yeah, there's a lot of potential. There was when he was coming out of high school, and there's some off-the-court issues that obviously have played into where he ended up on top of maybe just the want-to, and and if that's something that's an issue for him, we're going to get to that here momentarily as well. Again, Justin Rose's comments. But I don't know, man. Like I'm not expecting all that much from a second-round pick. The the guys that are second-round picks that have turned into stars – are few and far between. Yeah, you can throw out your Draymond Greens and your Nikola Jokic's and some of these names that are household across the NBA. What are the chances that that happens with Amoni Bates, though? I think it's slim. 
think most of you guys understand Slim as well. So I, I while I understand it's the thing right now to talk about because it's the the one move we have at our disposal that the Cavaliers made last night. They they stand they stood pat and made a, a draft selection with that 49th overall pick. I also don't think that that was the most important thing from last night. Like, this is a guy who, if he does turn into anything, it's going to take several years. It's going to be a process to kind of get there. This isn't just going to be a plug-and-play. He starts immediately, insert him into the starting lineup as your three, and we're off and running. I just want us to all go into this conversation and into this season understanding that out of the jump, off the jump, because it's not just going to be Amoni Bates is here, he's starting, done. That's it. Now, what I do find interesting in this conversation and what I do – hold on, let me take a step back for a second. What I do find interesting from last night is more so the conversation about the Cavs didn't make this rumored trade up into the first round, into the 20s, to maybe get a player that could be that plug-and-play style. And also, obviously, some of the talk last night, Chris Fedor was on the show on Afternoon Drive – and he alluded to there being some the, the Cavaliers fielding some calls on Jared Allen and maybe he, there being some interest there in, in moving him and that that was something that obviously didn't happen. I think those are the things that I'm most focused on. How people are talking about Amoni Bates today as a player and that the Cavs didn't do anything last night and what that means as we move deeper into the offseason, free agency opens up all of it. And we get an opportunity to see this team maybe actually make some moves with Kobe Allman. But in terms of what is being said about Amoni Bates, I want to go back to this Justin Rose interview that was on Ken, He was on with Ken Lima this morning because here's the thing. I understand that he's a second-round pick, not likely to contribute immediately all of that, like I just kind of laid out here. But even when the Cavs have taken second-round picks in the past, or even when any team takes a second-round pick, there's always some level of positivity surrounding that player. There's always like a, well, if they really get into the film room with this guy and break down his game and they can really help him mature and, and, and figure things out, he could be okay. He could be a real player in this league. And I think you got some of that, it sounds like, I, we didn't. We weren't able to hear the live coverage of the draft last night here in studio. We were watching it, but obviously we couldn't hear it when we were doing a radio show. But it sounds like a lot of the draft coverage was all just like rainbows and butterflies from ESPN. But when you get somebody as candid as Justin Rose was today, it is fascinating stuff to see what exactly the Cavaliers are getting into. Here was the first of several clips we'll play for you in this hour Justin Rose talking about Amoni Bates and some of the issues that he kind of brought with him to Eastern Michigan. A lot of it has to do with his, his surroundings and his family. Uh, his dad is, is one of those coaches, uh, you know, the baby Gronk dad that's going around right now. That's kind of the guy you've got running Imani Bates' entire life. 
He's a nice man. Uh, I mean, you got to go back just to give you guys some context here. When when this kid first came on the scene and he was playing at Lincoln uh, High School in, in Ypsilanti, I, I got an opportunity to go and cover him. It was right around the time that that cover came out, and so I was working for the local uh, ABC affiliate up in Detroit, and, and I got a chance to meet with Imani. And wow, did I come back completely uninspired for a kid that you know suddenly had all of the tools and whatnot, and. He's just had a muzzle put on him, and, and, and his dad wants to do all the talking. And that stunts your growth when you're a teenager because you don't really know who you are. The maturity issues that you brought up, I mean, that is the number one red flag for me when it comes to Imani Bates. It was the number one thing that when he transferred back to Eastern Michigan and I knew I was doing the games, I said, well, this will be interesting. And I'll just give you one story uh, about maturity issues is, you know, we're getting ready to tip off in about 45 seconds, and – Monty Bates, we get somebody come over to the table and tell us, hey, Monty, scratch from the, the, the starting roster. And we're like, for what? We just watched him warm up. And uh, come to find out, Monty didn't want to wear the team-issued Adidas shoes. He wanted to wear Nike shoes. Well, Eastern's an Adidas school, and the coach basically told him, you don't change your shoes, you're not playing. So we got told, well, Monty's not going to play tonight because he doesn't want to wear the right shoes. And all of a sudden, he comes blaring out of the tunnel with the new shoes on, and he's in the starting line. I mean, it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, how can you not understand that you just can't have it your way all the time? And that's why I just, you know, I just think that while he might go out there and figure out how to be a pro and he can probably score from anywhere, he's also going to give you guys headaches where you're going, I'm over it. Like, grow up. This is a, You're an adult now. You play in, a, in an adult league with adult grown men. You cannot have these little, you know, temper tantrums that are gonna that are gonna just make a team go. I'm not interested in this. I mean, a lot to dissect there. What a story about the shoes, and it's like that's the thing that is keeping you from potentially playing in this game because you don't want to change your damn shoes prior to tip off because you want to wear Nikes instead of Adidas at Adidas school. I mean, that's the type of stuff that the Cavs are signing up for with this, and that leads me to the first sort of thing that comes to mind for me in this conversation, which is just do the Cavs have the culture to combat and handle a player like this? Because listen, guys, we're not that far removed from the Kevin Porter Jr. debacle and all that went into that. And then his departure from Cleveland and he ends up in Houston and he's balling and we're all sitting here like, man, if we could have just had a better handle on that player, he could have been doing this for us here in Cleveland and been a heck of a player maybe alongside some of these other guys that they're trying to build this thing with. I mean, that would be something, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be something to have Kevin Porter Jr.? Now, the difference is Kevin Porter Jr. was here. You're talking about a different head coach, a uh, a guy who in John Beeline was obviously not long for the job, said some questionable things, Clearly didn't have a very good grip on the the locker room and the team, and he paved the way for J.B. Bickerstaff to take over, and that's gone. I'm not going to say beautifully because of how the season ended, of course, but it has gone smooth in terms of trying to build this organization back to prominence and, frankly, just having a coach that the players trust and want to play for. If this was John Beeline in that era, no. No chance that I think the culture is ready to handle a guy like this. But I do think that with J.B. Bickerstaff back next year, 
I don't think he's lost that locker room, obviously. And I think that there are some guys who can sort of bring him along, especially young guys who can maybe mold him. That's maybe the – I didn't know his full story of his age before sort of doing more digging into it during this draft process. And I didn't realize, like, he reclassified as a 2021 high school grad, which was a year earlier than he was supposed to. And so we're talking about a guy, a kid who's 19 at this point. Like he is still so young and entering a league now where he's going to have a lot of weight on his shoulders and a lot of pressure to live up to the hype from even his high school days when he was considered a top prospect in, in the sport. I think he actually is coming into the right situation where you have an Evan Mobley who's also young and kind of growing and going through the NBA experience um, for the first time and, and, and in his first couple of years. Darius Garland sort of emerging on the other side of those first couple of years. Donovan Mitchell, a veteran who can maybe kind of guide him. And again, J.B. Bickerstaff's presence seems to respond well to the younger players on the roster right now. So I would think Imani, ba- uh, Ima- uh, sorry, Imani Bates would fall into that fall in line as well. But you're also talking about a guy that's on a two-way contract. Are they really going to be interfacing with him on a daily basis? Probably not. Is he ready for this moment? Is he ready for the stage? And are the Cavs equipped to handle a player that's maybe going to bring some of this baggage and headaches? We get to more of the Justin Rose audio. We'll talk more about Imani Bates and get to your calls as well on the subject. We got John Doss set to join us around 840. Uh, trying to connect with Al Pulowski after the Guardians game tonight. That one's off and running. We got a great show planned, including a hot take Friday here on Overtime with Jonathan Peel, and we'll do it at 10 o'clock. Keep it locked. It's Spencer German with you here on The Fan. Just got confirmation. We will have Al Pulowski after the game tonight. So we got two guests. John Doss will join us in about an hour and 20 minutes. And then Al Pulaski at some point after uh, his postgame show wraps up. So at, whenever I'm having Al on after the game, I always say we got to hope for no extra innings. Because if it was extras, then we're, we're up against the clock there in that 11 o'clock hour. But we definitely want to try to get him on. Should be a loaded show. Looking forward to it with you. It's Spencer German filling in for JP tonight. I was in last night. I'm back again Monday as well. JP off celebrating his brother-in-law's bachelor party. I hope he's indulging in some adult beverages as we speak and enjoying himself. Carefree, not worried about uh JP, while you're away, I promise. If you're if you're trying to pop in quick cuz you're listen, I get it. It's like when you it's like when you buy a house and then you leave for the first time on vacation and you you know, you're just making sure you got all your ducks in a row. You don't want to you don't want to leave the lights on, you want to make sure everything's locked. The garage door goes down. I understand if you're trying to jump in quick and just make sure the show's off and running and no big issues. It's it's it, it, his show. I understand being protective over it, but I promise you it's in good hands tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun. You enjoy yourself. 216-474-0092 if you want to jump in. We're talking about Emoni Bates and I guess I, I'm going to be honest. My first question here Kind of an easy answer. I, do the Cavs have a, the, the right culture to handle this guy who obviously comes with some baggage as Justin Rose laid out this morning with uh, Ken and Lima? I think they do. Between J.B. Bickerstaff 
Now, the question is, will he respond to it? I think J.B. Bickerstaff is the right guy for that job. Again, he seems to... The young guys on this roster already seem to be very receptive to J.B. Bickerstaff, and that's important. On top of the fact that you have a nice mix of young guys and some vets who I think can kind of bring him along if he if he takes it. If he doesn't, though, and he doesn't take the game seriously, which was another thing that Justin Rose called into question, then... We might not. This will probably be the most we spend talking about Amoni Bates if, if uh, like today, holy, if he ends up just not taking anyone's advice and he ends up in the same boat as Kevin Porter Jr., where he's just a head case who gets traded eventually, and we're we're the, the Cavs are washing their hands clean of it in the in the long run. Like if that's what happens, we'll never talk about him more than we did today. I hope he is receptive. The fact that he's young, there's some room to grow there. That's what has me optimistic. But I still keep it in in, in context here that he's a second-round pick, guys. He's probably not going to end up being a key contributor on this team, at at least not a starter on this team. I'm not trying to be a downer. That's just kind of the facts and the the math and the statistics tell you second-round picks don't generally end up being that in this league. There's a few names. I know Jokic, the most notable of them all right now, because he's maybe the best player. He is the best player in the league at the moment. So I get it. You're going to throw those names out and say, what about this guy? What about that guy? It can happen. And I do think the Cavs took the type of guy in that spot that it's high risk, high, uh, high, re- or high risk, high reward, because he could pan out and become that big star player that he was thought to be coming out of high school, or it could just blow up in your face. It's the type of player that you want to take late in the draft like that if you're sort of desperate for finding a contributor in that spot. But I don't know that I'm not expecting a lot from Amoni Bates, especially not in this first year. Now that said, I think maybe the better question here is, can the Cavs afford to take the time it's going to, to mold the clay that is Amoni, Amoni Bates? Because, we know where this roster's at. You make the Donovan Mitchell trade, you set the clock on playoff runs, a title run at some point in the next couple of years, you would hope. We saw how the playoffs ended this past season. It was very disappointing, and it seemed like they were closer to being a play-in team than a title contender in the, in the, in the, in the next year or so. When you draft a guy like Bates... Again, not expecting him to have a big role in this first year, especially in how is he going to crack J.B. Bickerstaff, who was stingy with minutes for Kevin Love, of all people. How is he going to crack that 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 rotation in year one? It's just not going to happen. And so that's why I don't know how I feel about the idea that the Cavs now have another player that they kind of have to wait and take some time to build and mold and grow with. I I would have rather seen them, and I talked about it last night, like if there was a move to be had to move up in the back into the first round and get a guy that maybe could be a role player for you this year, I would have preferred that over standing pat at 49 and taking Bates, even though I like the upside of Bates. I just, I know where this team is at, man, and they don't have a lot of levers to pull. Moving back into the first round would have been one, where it felt like maybe you get something of significance 
from a role player standpoint, a bench player standpoint, that, that, that helps you in a potential playoff run. This is a project. Do the Cavs have time to take on another project is my question for you. 216-474-0092. On Twitter as well, at Spencito underscore. We go to the phones, and we welcome in first up tonight, Lance in Painesville. What's going on, Lance? Hey, how you doing, Spencer? How you doing, brother? Good, good. How are you? Um, I'm going to say that this guy, uh, he, he has talent. He has, also has baggage at the same time. I don't believe that um, big big staff is the coach. I, I'm I'm not questioning his knowledge of basketball as a coach and, and what he knows. But what I'm saying is, you know what I'm saying better than anybody. He can take players to another level. Yeah. I don't believe big staff can do that. And I also believe that the Cavs can still make a move with Jared Allen. Yeah, you know, it, I've always been a big believer in trading defense for offense. If you can get a, a take, trade a defensive player and get a better offensive player that can score in the off, especially yeah. in the playoffs. Lance, I want to real quick. I want to go back to your first point because you talk about JB Bickerstaff and his ability as a coach, and and I agree that we still have questions about his ability. And the playoffs, making adjustments, how is he going to use his roster when he has more talent on it, all these different things. And I've said it a million times, Lance, like I don't know how often you've caught me hosting, but you know, I, I think there's coaches sometimes who are good for the rebuilding phase, and there's coaches who are good for the let's chase the title phase. And I don't know that JB is, is the right guy for the latter, but where I feel confident in him with Bates is that I think he can be that guy that gets buy-in from him because he's done that with these young guys that are on the roster currently. So I think if you're talking about a project, like, again, I think he fits that mold. But if you're, I think that also plays into the question of, like, Long term, if you're talking about trying to get something out of Bates that that he becomes a contributor for you, is JB Bickerstaff even going to be here long term to be getting the most out of him? And 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 will a new coach still feel the same way that he does? Like that, the one thing I trust JB Bickerstaff to do is get his players to buy into what he's saying because that's what I know I've seen him be able to do to this point. Yeah, but he's he's, he's got to be able to get them. He's got to accelerate that that process yeah. now. I mean, right. I mean right. the Cavaliers don't have a two or three year window. We, we got to hold on to Donovan Mitchell. Hope he resigns. We got to hope Mobley resigns. I mean, it, it, Mobley, if he turns into what we think he can be, he might not be on Cleveland. Right. I mean, so we is bigger staff. Do we need a coach? I'm not saying you need a big name coach, but you need a coach that can. Pull the best out of get him to buy. Get, I mean, you know, this guy. These guys have talent, but it's is a matter about look at look at Thibodeau. Thibodeau is a great coach as far as X's and O's, but he wears his players down. Bickerstaff is a guy who can take a bunch of young guys and get them to believe in one another. And get them to the playoffs, right? Right. But the Cavaliers—they made all these moves, traded all these draft picks, traded all these players because they thinking that two or three years they can get to a championship. That's what kind of coach 
we need in yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. I'm with you, Lance. I appreciate the call, man. Got to let you go. Um, and that's the, the larger point I'm trying to make. I, I, I worded it poorly mid-call there with Lance. But the point I'm trying to make is if we all consensusly sort of agree that J.B. Bickerstaff may not be the guy to chase championships with, calling the, pulling the strings off the, off the bench there, and he's not going to be here long-term anyway, then I think that also plays into the question about whether or not they can afford a project like they took on last night because they're in win-now mode. And if you're in win-now mode, again, it's why I said if they had made, moved up into the first round, I would have felt better about things last night. I am curious now to see how the – this is just the beginning. Offseason opens up officially. Free agency, rather, opens up July 1st. That's when we really will see some movement. Maybe the Cavs do make some deals. Uh, you, you are, I'm imagining they're going to at least make the necessary tweaks they need to to try to address that wing spot. So, yeah, there's still some things that have to play out here, and I'm not saying it's it's last night's a disaster. But when we're asking ourselves, like, if they can afford to take on a project right now, and you're looking at the levers they had at their disposal, one of them could have been maybe getting back up into the first round to get a player that was more NBA-ready than, than Bates is going to be. They didn't do that. So, again... Can they take on a project with that context, also with the context that maybe J.B. Bickerstaff isn't even here beyond this year, and he's the guy that I trust to actually work well with a prospect and who's established this culture that I have faith in being able to handle a guy with maybe some of this baggage. Let's go to Joe in Cleveland. You're up next on the fan. What's up, Joe? Joe, you there? Joe? I'm sorry, Joe. we got to let you go. We'll go instead to Jim Strongsville. What's up, Jim? Hey, listen, I, I hear where you're coming from, but it's just, it's, I look, root yourself into reality, okay? One, at 49, you were getting nothing but a project, okay? And I understand you're, you're like, well, if we could have moved into the back end of the first, what are you getting in the back end of the first round? Be serious with yourself. What are you getting in the back end of the first round that's going to contribute to any kind of team? If you say they're win now, what guy are you getting in the back end of the first round that's going to help you win now? Nobody. I know that because we had LeBron for all those years, and guess what? None of those guys mattered. Here's the thing. And you're like, win now. Win now what? Win what now? It's not like LeBron came back in his prime and we're sitting here like, oh, we got to win now. We got LeBron in his prime. Until one of these guys steps forward and becomes a superstar, which I don't think Donovan Mitchell is, we're not in. We're not win what now? Maybe if they play great team ball like Denver did, but you can say all that all you want to. Jim, but how can you say that no- they're not in win now mode though? When you make that trade you made for Donovan Mitchell last year, and now you have no assets. Like they they went all in. Whether or not you think Donovan Mitchell's a star or not, the team obviously felt that they needed to get this guy to sort of accelerate this process and go chase something. If 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 you gave up all that for Donovan Mitchell then clearly you believe that he was a piece that propels you to that next level. Am I wrong? So if, wrong. so if they're... I'm, 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 look, I'm living in the real world, not the, Cavs, not the Cavs world. I'm living in the real world. In the real world, Donovan Mitchell, he is a tier two star. So what he was the point? So, so from the organization standpoint, if you're not putting yourself in their shoes, like then what was the point of making that trade then? Just for, I, just I think for they made uh, a mistake. kicks I and giggles? I almost said a word that was going to get me in trouble there, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think that trade was a huge mistake. I think at the end of the day, you've got two guards that are undersized. I actually Agreed. think the upside on Darius Garland is better than Donovan Mitchell. I think Donovan Mitchell is always going to be, I don't care how he plays. We want to say he plays big. The guy's still 6'1". He still has trouble against big guys finishing at the rim. 
look, at the end of the day, he is what he is. You just, you're not going to get past that. And that's the one thing that everybody wants to say, well, Donovan Mitchell, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell is so reliant on three-point shooting. Look, you can get away with two guys that are smaller if they can shoot the lights out. Guess what? Donovan Mitchell is a streaky shooter. He started the year off really hot last year, and then he came back down to earth. If you can't shoot guys out of backing away from you, then you're in trouble, and that's where they're at right now with him. I just don't think – honestly, look, and I don't want to be doomsday guy, but it's a flawed roster. This is a flawed team right now, and they need to find a way to shake it up and change the dynamics because, well, and I got – you know, while I would – this is going to sound funny. Look, in this one instance, size does matter in your backcourt, man, and it's a big deal. You can't have two guys that are out there small – yeah. Unless you can punish teams well, by making threes when they're making two. Well, and Jim, I'm, well, listen, we're on the same page with a lot of what you just said wholeheartedly. Like the, the two undersized guards, it's hard to win in this league with that setup. It's definitely a flawed roster. I agree with you there. They have a lot of things they need to address. I, I think what we're sort of disagreeing, though, is just that I understand where you're maybe trying to live in the reality and look at this thing and say, like, this isn't going to work out. The Donovan Mitchell trade maybe wasn't worth it. I, I can understand that perspective, but that doesn't mean – that I'm like to me though you you still have to realize that the organization made that trade and they don't have a lot of assets at their disposal so they went in they went all in whether or not we think it's going to work or not so they have to kind of live with that and they have to find a way to navigate it with who they have on the roster at this time that that's kind of yeah, my point yeah, here like yeah. you don't trade for Donovan Mitchell and then just throw your hands up and say well uh they don't think it's going to work so I guess we're just kind of stuck like they have to find ways to make the roster better somehow well, that's why I say there's no way they go to camp with Jared, Jared Allen still on the roster. He's the one piece that actually has value that can actually shake up and change the change the contour of their starting lineup. That's it. That's what they got. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'll be honest. I would not give Darius Garland. I think Darius Garland's upside is so gigantic, and he's the best shooter on the team. There's just no way I let that guy go. You know what, Jim? Too and I, I, th- listen. This has been a great conversation in, in the in the conver- in, in the terms of discourse because we went from sort of disagreeing. Now we're agreeing with a lot of stuff by the end of this call. But uh, where I'm with you on, on on Darius Garland especially is. As we talk about, you know, Donovan Mitchell even a long-term person to be here on this team long-term, and what does that look like? Does he want to go to New York? I think there's more of a chance that you keep Darius Garland around, given that he's kind of a homegrown player at this point, than there is Donovan Mitchell. So I'm kind of with you. We're like, if you look at that, that we call him the core four, obviously. If you look at the core four and you're saying, which guys are you willing to give up? Obviously, Jared Allen is the one we're all talking about right now. I think Mobley you're banking on n- untouchable because you're thinking he's going to become a superstar. And for me, like Darius Garland's untouchable right now because of that fact that I think there's a better chance you can convince him to stay than Donovan Mitchell. So really, it's Allen and Mitchell, your two movable pieces from that core four. I agree with you. And you got a better chance of winning a championship with a six-one point guard than you do with your best yeah. player being a six-one yeah. shooting guard. Well, Jim, I just put it out there. I gotta go, we we went way over the time here because this was a good conversation. But I appreciate the discourse, Thanks, man. man. I'm glad that we can uh, disagree and then still find some common ground on some things as well. Take it easy, all right, man. All right, later, buddy. Good stuff from Jim. I, I listen. I had to push back a little bit on the they're not in win now mode because I understand where he's trying to live in reality and say I just see gray skies ahead and we have no shot with this roster and we we exhausted our resources so well we're screwed but the organization can't operate like that they have to navigate this thing now that they pushed all the chips to the table if they still had assets fine i'd say there'd, there'd, there'd be easier ways out of it maybe but they don't have that they they went all in for donovan mitchell they believed in this they got to find a way to make it work and make those deep playoff runs that's the expectation at this point we'll take a break we'll get more from justin rose on the other side 
Um, I'll respond a little bit more to Jim's call as well. It'll be a shorter segment because we went way over here. But coming up, you got a 2020 from Jake. What's the score of the Guardians game? Top of the third inning as we speak. We'll give you that coming up here momentarily on the fan. Nothing Milwaukee over at Progressive. Keeping an eye on the Guardians game for you throughout the night. Hoping for a win. Shane Bieber on the mound. If Shane Bieber's really getting traded, uh, we're going to have to start counting down his uh, how many starts he's actually got left. Yeah, it, Honestly, with the all-star break in there, it's probably single digits if he's really uh, due to get traded. I laid out last night why I don't think they should trade him. I'm sure some people feel differently. We'll certainly react to the game throughout the night. See if the Guardians can stay hot in the win column. Over progressive. But we spent most of the first portion of the show talking about Imani Bates and the Cavs draft. Uh, I did. Jim and I had a good conversation. I, I'm, I'm certainly not mad at Jim. There's no animosity there despite our disagreements early on in the call. But the other thing I wanted to just get to was he talked about who you're getting in the first round if you trade it back up. And I and he, listen, he's right. Like, the odds aren't even great that any of those guys pan out. And there's a reason why after Scoot Henderson, Weminyama, Miller, and Henderson, that nobody really knew many of the names that were being drafted. And then you had, well... You had uh, Grady Dick became sort of a household name for obvious reasons last night as well. But uh, I don't know how many people were like super familiar with him before last night either. And the jokes wrote themselves as Nick Wilson took full advantage of on Twitter last night. Um, and, and, and Jim's listen, Jim's argument is sound that even trading up to the first round, who are you really going to get that was going to be impactful? And I understand. I'm my my main point in that was just you have a better chance getting somebody in the first round, late first round, who maybe pans out and becomes a role player for you, than you do taking a flyer on a super project in Amani Bates. And he was right. Like no matter who you got at 49, it was going to be a project. But that was my point. Did the can the, did the Cavs have the time right now? to be taking on projects or should they continue their pursuit of going all in and maybe have done something last night. And that comes with the caveat that there's still plenty they can do. I guess not plenty because they don't have a lot of levers to pull, but there's still things that they can work with when free agency opens here in a couple weeks. 216-474-0092. Also coming up, guys, I don't need the Browns to be the Chiefs, the Bills, or even the Bengals for that matter. We'll get to it, but I want to go to the phones. Larry and Elyria, you're up next in the fan. What's up, Larry? Hey, how you doing, Spencer? Yeah, the Cavs, Spencer, you mentioned about the project right now. You can't think that way. Yeah, we were talking, I said NBA championship. Um, what we acquired for Donovan, yeah, this it's got to happen now. But the thing, too, Spencer, you're talking Karis LeVert, there's $18 million. 
Yeah. You're talking, what, a year or two, you're talking Evans' contract, another $30 million guaranteed. And by that time it comes up, the contract, um, what, Darius, he'd be making close to 40-something million, I believe, correct? So I, I don't know. The moves right now, in these free agents right now, Spencer, uh, you can't make a move. You stick what you have. I don't know how they, uh, how you been able to advance, how we get better from this yeah. team. Well, and, all of a sudden, they start shooting better. I mean, that's the key of it. The bench we have, doing position, they all of a sudden this summer, they go out and work hard on their game. Well, you're counting on two things, though. You're counting on that, that the guys get better just naturally, right. and they become better shooters maybe, and they hit the shots that they were missing this year. And I think also the other thing you can count on is that uh, Evan Mobley continues to develop. That is the biggest right. thing that all this hinges on is his development, of course. So, yeah, you kind of have that in your pocket. You have uh, this mid-level exception, and you maybe have a trade chip and somebody in the core four. But right now, the only one of those guys that really seems movable is Jared Allen at this point. So what can you get for him is the is the big question. And will they actually move off of him is the other. Okay, if you do that, for example, okay, you, you, what you mentioned, for example, Spencer, about moving Jared, correct? Yeah. All of a sudden, you're, you're putting Evan center. Who's going to be your power forward now? Who's going to be your wing player you need? Well, I think you're hoping that that's kind of a TBD, right? Like if you trade Jared Allen, I assume you're trying to fill then – one of those needs, like a wing player, and then maybe you sign another center or figure that out. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the question they're going to have to answer if they were to move on from Jared Allen. Like, what are you getting in return? Um, right. But, yeah, listen, you're, you're, uh, you have sort of joined the ship that Jim was on the last call before the break and saying, like, he he was more so looking at this and saying, listen, I just don't have a lot of faith in this team because there's not a lot they can do. And you're not saying that the, you have some faith that maybe they can figure it out, but you, it sounds like at least sort of feel similar that because they don't have a lot of resources at their disposal, um, that they're sort of in a weird, they're, they're in a tough spot right now. Like it, this is not an easy situation to navigate and the pressure's on Kobe Altman to figure it out. Yeah, I think it will. You know something you mentioned that too, Spencer, about Kobe? Ain't it true though? You never expect something from him. But somehow he, I'll, I'll met you. I've been, you know, on Kobe, but lately he's made some good moves. And, uh, I think you mentioned with him, uh, I think it possibly, he knows it too. Mr. Gilbert knows it too, Spencer. He knows what's going, what situation we're in. And I see maybe, uh, Mr. Gilbert let, um, Kobe do something, maybe make a move that maybe makes his team better. Yeah. This could be possibly happening. Appreciate so. the call, Larry, as always, my man. Take it easy. You have a good Friday. You take care, Spencer. Yeah, and I brought up Kobe last night, too, because I said the the curious thing with Kobe is that, yeah, he had built this team. He got him in a spot where they were competitive. And then he got last year, he got the extension. And it was the first time we know that Dan Gilbert gave out a contract extension to a GM back in January 2022. And so it seemed like he kind of, now that he had the support of Dan Gilbert, he knew he was going to be here for a longer period of time. Then it seems like he sort of took the plunge and did something aggressive in going and getting Donovan Mitchell and going all in like this. And now 
he's put himself in a more precarious situation where he doesn't have the assets and he's got to figure out how to manage and build the roster around Mitchell, Mobley, Garland, maybe Allen if he's still here. And the pressure's on. Now, because of that, and this is, listen, people are going to throw out there that they think Kobe's on the hot seat and all these different things because he's in this situation. I think Dan Gilbert gave him that extension. And and listen, Dan Gilbert's never been one to care about, like, paying out contracts and stuff. So maybe he he doesn't care if he just paid the rest of it and he wasn't actually here with the organization. But I think they're committed to him for at least another couple years, depending on how this thing goes. Now, if the Donovan Mitchell trade ends up a colossal disaster – if they can't find a way out of it, if the team regresses massively this year, then we're talking about something different. I think JB is on the hot seat this year. We'll have to revisit Kobe next summer, maybe. But I, I don't. I think Kobe Altman is locked in right now as the brain trust of the front office personnel decision making, and he's got a tough thing on his plate right now that he's got to figure out. But I don't think that changes based off of this year because the Cavs are still going to be good. Of this upcoming season. Now, how far they go in the playoffs, it's going to be a different story. 216-474-0092. Also on Twitter, at Spencito with an underscore at the end of my name. Two hours, well, run hour down, and two hours from now, we're going to do a little hot take Friday. I'll explain it. But also, I don't need the Browns to be the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals. We'll do it next on The Fan.